We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner peace behind the curtain, where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Now if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need would there have been for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek, rather than on named after the order of Aaron? For when there is a change in the priesthood, there is necessarily a change in the law as well. For on the one hand, a former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness, for the law made nothing perfect. But on the other hand, a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. This makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by the death from continuing in office. But he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make an intersection for them. All right. Thank you, Shay, for reading that. Um, if you're new, I'm not Rodney. Um, so Rodney and Melanie and Logan and Jackson are taking a much-needed break this weekend, and so Rodney asked me, couple week or so ago, he's like, you want to preach? And I said, sure. He said, cool, we're going to talk about the high priest Melchizedek. And I was like, awesome. That's a, that's a super easy text to, to do. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray first because this is a very interesting text and it can, you know, so we're just going to work through it, but I'm going to pray first for our time. God, we thank you so much for this morning and we thank you for everyone in this room and those watching online, God. And we just thank you for everything that you were doing in our lives. And even when in the midst of heartbreak, God, we know that you were still working. And we thank you for celebrations. We've had graduations this weekend, God, and we thank you for that. And we thank you uh, for those who have given their lives in defense of this country as we will celebrate that tomorrow, God. And so I just ask that you would use this time, that it would be your time, not my time, God. That it would be your words and not mine. So you we pray. Amen. So one of my favorite people on this planet is my grandfather. Um, we call him Papa in my family. So if I say Papa, you know who I'm speaking about. And he's got this crazy, crazy story, uh, this background, and it's just really cool. I mean, he's done several jobs. He was a mail carrier. He was a pastor. He coached my high school baseball team when he never even worked for the high school. So it's kind of crazy. Um, and then he ran a bed and breakfast with my grandmother up until about 10 years ago. So he and my grandmother were married for almost 64 years. Uh, she actually just passed back in April. Um, but while I was home and while I was around my family and around my friends, we we're just looking through all these old pictures and reading these old stories. And I came across this photo of them. So this was taken, I want to say that's probably summer of 1955. Um, so he, this is my grandfather on the right, my grandmother on the left. And so he was about to start his freshman year at Baylor University at 16 years old. And she was about to start her sophomore year of high school at 15 years old, different time. And so in this photo in particular, he's on this bicycle because this is one of four jobs he had his freshman year to pay for his tuition. Again, different times, right? And so... This job he had was he was a telegram, he delivered telegrams via bicycle for the Western Union. 
How many of you are like, what in the world's a telegram? Right? Yeah, yeah. All you guys should be raising your hand. So this is one of four jobs that he had, and this was a few years before they got married. And so the interesting thing is this is something we don't see anymore, right? We don't see people riding bicycles, delivering telegrams. It's just, it's not really a thing anymore. And the reason we're, I'm, I'm bringing this up is because this is not how I see my grandfather. I don't see him as this person, right? I see him, actually in my family, our, my grandfather was the tech genius. And so he had a computer before we had a computer. Whenever we had problems, like with a printer or a scanner, he would come over, he would help us fix it, you know? And so that's the, the, grandf- the, the, the papa that I knew. I knew that version of him, not the delivering telegrams on a bicycle. And so why, am I, why, are we, why are we talking about this? Why am I sharing this story with you? Well, because when he and my grandmother ran their bed and breakfast up until about 10 years ago, I always saw him doing something on his computer for that, right? He was always sending an email. He was always making a spreadsheet. He was always doing something. And so what we see here is his, his method of communication in life changed, right? So one, he's sending, he's delivering telegrams to people. And then as times changed, his communication changed. But what did not change, it didn't, what didn't change is that he still needed to communicate with people, right? And so what would have been very foolish is if he was in his 60s running a, trying to communicate with people via telegram. That would be very foolish. So as the time changed, the need for what communication looked like changed, and he rolled with that. And this is an interesting thing, because my grandfather's a very, for lack of a better term, stubborn man. He knows what he believes, he knows what's right, and, he, and, and that's, that's really been a really cool example in life. But he was also willing to try new things. If I can figure it out, I'll do it, right? And so same thing with computers. He jumped on that train. You can go ahead and take that down, Melissa, thank you. And so the reason I share this story is because this is what we are reading about in this passage of Hebrews, right? We're reading this idea that something had to change, a new way of thinking had to come along in our communication with God, right? And so just like my grandfather had to rethink his communication with the world and how he ran a business and how to be successful, we need to rethink our communication with God and not just us, the people in Hebrews, Right? So we see this new idea of a new covenant and a new high priest. And so, you know, Shay, who read our scripture very well, um, she read this, and that's what, we, what we're seeing. And so we're in Hebrews, right? We're in Hebrews. And so last week, Rodney talked about, okay, hey, this is our faith. This is what we have, and we're growing in this. But God also doesn't expect you to just hold on to it. He expects you to share it with other people. And it was really funny as he was preaching last week, I was sitting there, I'm like, am I? Am I sharing with people? Do I share my, and I'm like, Elijah, your job is literally sharing the gospel with people, you know? I was like, calm down a little bit, you know? Unrealistic expectations. And so you may be wondering, okay, why are we talking about a high priest? Like what, what is the point of a high priest? And that's a good question. And so we're going to kind of get into that today about what the high priest was at that time versus Jesus being our high priest now. And so whenever Rodney gave me this text, I was like, what in the world is happening here? So I spent all sorts of time just reading, looking it up. And I always like to think about the context. I like to try to imagine I'm in the place of these people who it's being written for. 
And so the Hebrews at this time, so again, this was written, we don't know who wrote the book of Hebrews, but we know that it was written for the Christians of that day and age. We do know that. But also, why was it being written? I like to imagine I'm in this situation, why I'm being told, okay, why is this person writing this for me if I was in that situation? And so what we're seeing is the author says, hey, old covenant, old way, New covenant, new way. Old thinking, new thinking. Right? Telegram, email. Right? And so I don't know exactly for sure how this went down, but I would imagine there was probably some people who were very okay. Hey, we got a new way of communication with God. And there was probably some people who were like, I don't know, I kind of like the old way. You know, that's just, that's the way change goes and everything. There's people who love it and there's people who don't. And so I would imagine for those who weren't happy with it, and I'm sure the author saw that because the author addresses this specifically. And so the author talks about, hey, Jesus is the new high priest. This is the new covenant. This is the new way of communicating with God. And it's just going to look a little bit different than it has in the past, but that doesn't mean it's wrong. But it's not new. You know, I'm sure someone was like, well, where is this coming from? Where is this new covenant coming from? It's not new. And so we see in Psalm 110, verse 4, it says this, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And so in this passage, David is writing um, what it looks like when G God is speaking to Jesus. And so God is speaking to Jesus in this verse saying, hey, you are the priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So if the Hebrew people were like, oh, this must not, this must not be new, David was writing about it several years prior. And that's exactly also what we see, and sorry, I don't have a slide, but that's also a direct correlation to what we see in verse uh, 20, right? Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after what? The order of Melchizedek. Now, you're probably wondering, who in the heck is Melchizedek? I made that rhyme on purpose. So we don't have much on, on this guy, right? We have this passage here in Hebrews. We have this little passage in Psalms. And we have a little, little passage in Genesis. And I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I'm just going to read the first part. Genesis 14, 17 through 20, it says this. After his return from the defeat of, I don't know how to say that, Shadar Lomer, and the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom went out to meet him at the valley of Shaveh, that is the king's valley. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God most high, and he blessed him and said, blessed be Abram by God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God most high who has delivered your enemies into your hand. You're probably like, what in the world is going on here, right? What in the world is going on here? So what we're seeing here is Melchizedek is the order in which Jesus becomes the high priest. And now what does that mean, right? It doesn't mean that, oh, Melchizedek is greater than Jesus. It doesn't mean that Jesus didn't know what it looked like to be a high priest. It just means he's going to follow Melchizedek in the same way that Melchizedek was a high priest because in that time, there was never a king and a high priest. And so what we saw in that passage, as we saw he was the king of Salem, 
but also the high priest. And this is the only uh, recording that we have of somebody being both. Now, David, when he was king, had a, a few high priestly duties, but was never both. And so therefore, what this is saying is Jesus is gonna follow in his footsteps and be both our king and our high priest. So that's what it means when it's saying it's following in that order. And so another thing we know about Melchizedek is he was considered greater than Abraham, okay? So let's look back at verses four through six in chapter seven. It says this, see how great this man was to whom Abraham the patriarch gave a tenth of the spoils. And those descendants of Levi who received the priestly office have a commandment in the law to take tithes from the people, that is from their brothers. Though these also are descended from Abraham, but this man who does not have his descent from them received tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. Okay, so how, how does this show that Melchizedek was considered greater than Abraham? Well, we see that Abraham gives his tithe to Melchizedek, and that's actually talked about later in that passage in Genesis that we just read as well. And so what this meant in that time, you gave your tithe to someone who had some sort of level of superiority, right? So Melchizedek is the high priest. He's the one who's speaking with God. He's the one who's atoning, excuse me, for the sins of everyone. And so therefore Abraham is giving him a tithe because of that superiority. Now, why, why does this matter? And we, you know, it's, it's interesting because we don't know the genealogy of Melchizedek, but we know the genealogy of Abraham, right? The line, David, to eventually to Jesus. But Melchizedek doesn't have any, anyone. So it's very interesting that the authors reminding the Hebrews, hey, this guy is more important, even though he may not seem like it. You know, it's like if somebody were to walk in this room right now, let's, I don't want, lack of a better term, a Kardashian, it's like, oh, look, it's a Kardashian, you know? But how many of us think about the third Hemsworth brother? How many of you knew there was a third Hemsworth brother? Right? Exactly. So my, my point is, is, is some, just because somebody doesn't have a name doesn't mean they're not important. In this day and age, that was so important to them. They were, if this person didn't have a name that went along with them, they didn't care. And so this is what the author is trying to point them to. Hey, just because we don't know the genealogy doesn't mean God can't use them. Doesn't mean God is not going to use that person just because they don't come from a strong family name. So, that's what we see. Now Jesus is the high priest, okay? So let's talk about that for a second. This is a new way of thinking, okay? The old covenant, you got a high priest. Who knows, who knows what, the, what the high priest's job was? By a show of hands. Any ideas? Okay. So the high priest in this day and age would go into the Holy of Holies once a year on the Day of Atonement to atone for the sins of everyone else, right? This was the mediator between man and God. And so what we saw and what we see in this passage here is that Jesus is now the high priest, which we see in verse 19 and 20. And we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek, right? So this is what Jesus's role is. In addition to being our king, he's also our high priest. And so at this time, according to Jewish tradition, 
How many of you have heard the Jewish tradition that when the high priest would go behind the curtain, he would have to have a rope tied around him? Yeah? So basically what this was saying is if his sins hadn't properly been atoned for and he's in the presence of God, he's going to die. And why should somebody else die? Let's just pull him out with a rope, right? And so what we see with this idea is that 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 way is not perfect, right? There's room for error. There's room for mistake to be made. With Jesus, there's no rope. There's no rope tied around his waist because he is the perfect high priest who goes behind the curtain forever, okay? And so this was an interesting way of thinking for the Hebrews. They're like, wait, hold on a second. Because they knew who Melchizedek was. They're like, hey, this guy's pretty good, but you mean to tell me we got a guy like him who's better forever? You know, like the, the way I was imagining this and your brain not worked the same as me, I was imagining I'm Bill Belichick, okay? Coach for the New England Patriots. And let's assume Tom Brady hasn't left yet to the Buccaneers. Tom Brady's my quarterback. And somebody walks up to me and says, hey, I got somebody who's going to be not just as good as him, but better than him forever. I'd probably laugh in your face, right? But this is kind of what we're, what we're seeing here. And this is how I imagine the Hebrews probably were like, wait a second, forever? How does that, how does that work? It's kind of a difficult thing to imagine And so the next thing we see in this passage is that there would not be a need for a new high priest. There would not be a new need, a need for a new covenant, a need for a new line of communication with God unless there was a need for one, right? There wouldn't be one if there wasn't a need. And so let's look back at verses 11 through 12 in verse, in chapter seven, it says this. Now, if perfection had been attained through the Levitical priesthood, which is the covenant of Abraham, okay? For under it, the people received the law. What further need would there have been for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek, rather than one named after the order of Aaron? For when there is a change in the priesthood, there is necessarily a change in the law as well. Okay, so you're like, why did they bring Aaron into this? Good question. They, they brought Aaron into it because Aaron was the first high priest, right? And so Melchizedek was the one, again, king and high priest. That's the order that's going to be in, not Aaron. Okay? So that's the first thing we see. But there's this, there's this idea that there's a need for a new covenant, a new way of thinking, a new way of communication, because the old way wasn't enough on its own. Okay? So the law, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, which are my favorite books to read in the Bible, joke wasn't enough okay the 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 law was not enough and so we see this in verses 18 and 19 again in chapter 7 it says this for on the one hand a former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness for the law made nothing perfect but on the other hand a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God okay thank goodness right So this is what we're seeing. This is why there's a need for a perfect high priest. Because when when we, when, when, when all we do is focus on the law or trying to follow the ways of God and just trying to be better, what do we what do we run into? What what do we run into? We run into failure or we run into pride. Right? 
We run into failure or we run into pride. Because the law on its own cannot save you. And God never designed for the law on its own to save us. And so what's happening is the Hebrews started to believe that. And sometimes I think we start to believe that, whether we like to admit it or not, or maybe we don't even realize it. So in student ministry, we just wrapped up our series called Lies of the Enemy. In fact, they just finished small groups this morning talking about some, one of the lies of the enemy. And so the reason we did this series is I wanted to talk about, hey, what are the things that the enemy is trying to convince us of that are to pull us away from God? What, what is he trying to feed us so that we don't turn to God in the midst of need, in the midst of chaos, in the midst of trouble, or in the midst of good things too? What is he trying to convince us of? And then we, not only that, we talked about what does God's word say about those things? And one of the lies the enemy wants to convince us of is that we can kind of just do things on our own. We don't need to wait on God's timing. He's moving too slow. Maybe he's not doing anything. So I'm just going to make it happen. I can just be better, right? I can just, I can just manifest this for myself. I can just muster it up within me to be better. How many of you have tried that before? How many of, that, how many of you has that worked long-term? Zero hands in the air, right? Because this is simply incorrect, and this is what the enemy wants to remind us of, but that's exactly what just following a list of rules does. Just trying to follow the law and the Hebrews trying to follow the law at this time, all that turned into was them just trying to be better, right? And then if all you're trying to do is be better and, if, and, 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 and you're gonna have two results. Again, I said it earlier. You're gonna look at it and you're gonna say, I'm doing pretty good. Or you're gonna look at it and say, why even try, right? And if we look at it and say, I'm doing pretty good, we become little Pharisees. Who wants to be a Pharisee? Zero hands, right? So, when we focus on Jesus and knowing him more and go to him more often, then that lie that we can just do it on our own begins to become less and less appealing, right? When we focus on Jesus and being more like him, the less we try to just follow a list of rules. And so, now, you're probably thinking, well, if the law is useless, according to that word of God, what, what, is, what does it say? Verse 18, the former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness. So you're like, why even have Leviticus in the Bible then? Why even have, if it's useless, why is it even in there? And so what this is not saying is that it's completely useless altogether. It's saying it's useless when it comes to salvation. It's useless when it comes to us trying to be with Christ, when us trying to be with God. It is useless. It cannot do that on its own. So let's look at a verse in Romans, Romans 7, 7. This is what Paul says to the church of Rome. He says this, what then shall we say? That the law is sin? By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said you shall not covet. And so what Paul is saying here is he said, hey, I didn't even realize what I was doing was wrong until I was told about it, right? And that's what the law does. And so 
With that being said, people who don't follow Christ, people who just live their own life, they don't recognize what, that they are doing, what they are doing is a sin. That's what Paul was just saying here, right? He's like, I didn't even know what I was doing was a sin unless something had told me about it, right? So that's what the law is, does. It shows us, hey, this is the expectation of God as followers of him, and this was what it means to be holy, but I don't actually expect you to do that on your own. And I think that the, the Hebrews in this time were trying to do it on their own. And so Paul is not saying we should ignore the law, right? Because Christ didn't come to abolish the law, he came to fulfill it, right? And this is the gospel. And every single week when we talk in student ministry, I always try to point every message we talk about back to the gospel, right? How does this point back to the gospel? That Jesus came and died for our sins and rose again so that we, he could atone for our sins so we don't have to. That's the gospel. And so that's what we see here. And so we see, and I'll finish up with this um, passage. Sorry, finished last, last scripture reference. Um, but verses 22 through 25 at the end of this chapter. And this makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save the uttermost, those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Okay, so what this is saying is Jesus guarantees a better covenant. Jesus guarantees a better way of thinking and communicating with God. Jesus guarantees a better way than the old way, right? And, and, and it, even, it even shows us here that the old way wasn't perfect, right? It says the old priests, they, they, they didn't last as long because they were limited by what? By death. Jesus doesn't, well, he dies, but he rises again, right? Because he's fully God and fully man. He lives forever. So he is the high priest forever. He has no limitations. He, pays, he atones for all sin. No, ro- no rope tied around him when he goes to speak with the Father about our sins. And so again, this is the gospel of Christ, right? This is the idea, hey, you don't have to atone for your sins. You don't have to try to figure it out. You don't have to try to be better. And so if you walk away hearing nothing today, just know that, right? It's not about you getting your act together. It's not about you getting your act together. You know, one of my best friends, his name is William. Uh, we, went, we were roommates in college together and... Um, a few, a few weeks ago, I, I texted him. I was like, hey, can we talk? And so we're talking on the phone, and I was confessing, confessing some sin to him because he's one of my accountability partners. And um, as I'm talking to him, he was like, yeah, okay, man. He's like, yeah, you've recognized where you messed up. That's good. He's like, so, so what are you thinking? I said, man, I just got to make better decisions. He goes, no, you don't. He said, you need to rest in the grace of Jesus Christ and that he has paid for that sin. You don't have to work to pay for that sin. And I feel like this is something that we try to do. We feel like we have to try to get our act together before we can go to the Father, before we can go to Jesus to talk to him. And that's not the case because that sin has already been paid for. We don't have to pay for it. It's already been paid for. You don't have to get your act together to go to God. 
And so let me ask you this question by a show of hands. How many of you really enjoy it? You just get a huge kick out of it when all people do is call you out for where you messed up. How many of you just love that? You're like, yeah, I love it. I just, I can't get enough of it. Thank you. Like, just, I love it. No hands in the air. And that's not me asking that question so we, I'm like, come on guys, raise your hand. Like, that's not what I'm doing. My point is, is no one, no one loves to constantly be told what they're doing wrong or where they're messing up. I'm not saying it's not okay every now and again to know, okay, where you messed up, okay, I made that mistake, all right, saw where I went wrong. There's nothing wrong with that, but if that's all you're being told over and over again, you're gonna feel worthless. And this is what the law does. This is what the old way of thinking does. This is what every other religion teaches. Hey, follow this set of rules and one day you might be saved. Follow it as best as you can, muster it within yourself, manifest it within yourself, and one day you might be able to be with God. And we know that this is not the case. Jesus is our king and Jesus is our high priest. And so I'll wrap you up, I'll wrap it up, wrap you up, I'm not going to do that. I'll wrap it up and leave you guys with this. You know, is there something that you believe about God that you need to rethink? Is there something about God that you believe that you need to rethink? Maybe it's the way you communicate with him. Maybe it's the expectations of him. You know, I had a conversation with Morgan this past week and she said, you know, it's okay to ask God for the things you want, right? Like, I feel so weird doing that, you know? But she said, that's okay. That's okay to ask God for the things that you want. It's okay to ask him for that and bring him in on that. So what is, is there anything in your life, in your communication with God and your expectations with God, maybe it's an application of truth. The truth hasn't changed, but your application of it might need to change, Right? just like my papa, right? The, the communication, the need for communication didn't change just the way he did. And I'll finish with this, this quick story. When I was in high school, I was a little Pharisee, I'll tell you right now, a little Pharisee. I was like, hey, see this list of rules? Look how good I am, look how bad you are, right? And I would walk around to people and I would think of this verse in Proverbs that says, faithful are the wounds of a friend, right? And I'm like, yeah, well, I'm gonna hurt you with this truth, you know? And I would walk around like, hey, you suck, hey, you're messing up, hey, you know, these little things. And then surprisingly, no one wanted to be my friend. No one wanted to be my friend, exactly. And so, but what happened is as I was growing through high school, I was, I was missing a piece of that, right? Because the truth, sometimes the truth hurts, right? Sometimes you just get, man, I, oh, I did not want to hear that today, you know? Sometimes it just happens, but what I was missing was the fact that just because the truth hurts doesn't mean I need to also add to that hurt. I need to think about the way I try to deliver that truth to someone. And if I don't have that relationship with them to have that conversation, that's not my place, right? Because that's what we do when we just stick with the law. When we stick with this list of rules, we say, hey, look at me. Look what I can do. And you're, you're not as good as me. So come be more like me. Instead of, hey, let's be more like Jesus, right? Let's be more like our high priest, our forever king, and our forever high priest. And so let me ask you this one last question, and we'll be done. 
What does it look like for you as an individual this week to move forward and think about, okay, where am I lacking trust in Jesus that he has paid for my sins? Where am I lacking trust in Jesus that he is the high priest who is the mediator between me and the Father? Because every single week, I don't know about you, but I will forget that in a heartbeat as soon as something goes wrong, as soon as I get stressed. But what does it look like for us as a church, as a community, as a body, as in the world, if we would just rest in the fact that we have grace from God and we don't have to follow this list of rules and we should just want to know him more. And then when that happens, we'll see growth in our lives. Let's pray.